Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it was uh, two days after September 11th, 2001, uh, that Queen Elizabeth II broke a 600-year-old tradition. See, every day at, uh, at Buckingham Palace, uh, the Queen's residence, the former Queen's residence, in the heart of downtown London, uh, every day there is a changing of the guard. And, uh, and when it takes place, it takes place at 1045 in the morning, and it lasts about 45 minutes. And if, if you've ever seen it, then you know that it is the pinnacle of pomp and circumstance. The old guard marches out, the new guard marches in, and then a British military band plays a collection of British military music. And on September 13th, 2001, Queen Elizabeth II broke that tradition. And uh, she broke it uh, to show solidarity with Americans during a time of national tragedy, and she broke it by telling that British army band to play the American National Anthem, the Star Spangled Banner. You know, uh, with uh, almost 20 years separating us from these events, uh, I don't know about you, but at least for me, there's a a certain irony that I uh, appreciate in this moment. Uh, The British Army Band playing a song about the British Navy's inability to conquer the Americans. But you see, if you go on YouTube, you can actually watch videos of this event. And if you watch those videos, the tone is very different. You see, people who were there that day uh, estimate that there were somewhere between three and 5,000 Americans gathered at the gates of Buckingham Palace. And as the cameras uh, pan across the sea of people who are gathered there, there isn't a dry eye in the crowd. Instead, you see these, these blank stares of people who are just trying to make sense of everything that's happened. Who would do this? Why would they do this? I mean, why would people fly airplanes into buildings? Now, a little over a week later, the reality of these events are beginning to set in as, uh, as people in uh, New York City and Washington, D.C., people in Pennsylvania and all around the country are beginning to pick up the pieces. And it's, it's a little over a week later that uh, Queen Elizabeth sits down and writes uh, a message. And the message, it's, uh, it's delivered by our ambassador, and it's delivered at a, uh, an Episcopal church in Midtown Manhattan. They're holding a, a memorial service, and, and the words she writes... Uh, They're directed to the people who are gathered there that day, but they're also written to all Americans. See, this is what she says. Each and every one of us has been shocked and numbed by what we have witnessed. There is nothing that can be said that can begin to take away the anguish and the pain of these moments. And that's when she so very poignantly reminds us that grief... Grief is the price we pay for love. Now, I don't know where you were uh, a little over a week and a half ago when we received news that there was uh, another shooting, another shooting at a school where kids were present. You know, it was a a really strange experience to open up Google News and discover that the, the second event on the page 
I was about something that had happened less than two miles from where I was sitting. You see, uh, a little over a week ago on Monday morning, I was uh, sitting over in my office, and I imagine like many of you, I was just trying to figure out what was going on. You see, we have a, a student here at Messiah who goes to school at CVPA, and, uh, and I found myself thinking about her and praying for her and uh, wondering how she was doing. And then I found myself uh, thinking about uh, those of you who work in schools and, and those of you who go to school, not just at CVPA, but, but elsewhere. And then I found myself thinking about, uh, about the teachers and the students who are already working here in this building and the teachers and students who are working in the building next door. And, and all of a sudden, my mind drifts to this quote from Queen Elizabeth. Grief is the price we pay for love. You know, uh, today is the first Sunday in November, and uh, on the first Sunday in November every year, we, uh, we set aside this Sunday to, to celebrate this thing called All Saints Sunday. It's also called the Commemoration of the, the Faithful Departed, and it's, uh, it's this Sunday uh, that's traditionally uh, dates back almost 1,600 years uh, it got started uh, in the 4th century when Christians in the eastern side of the Roman Empire started setting aside one Sunday every year to remember the martyrs, a people who had died giving their life as a witness for the Christian faith. And, and over time, it came to include uh, not just the martyrs, uh, and as Pastor Mike pointed out in his children's message, uh, not just the heroes of the Christian faith, but all Christians everywhere. Anyone who is baptized into Christ and then lives and dies in the faith. And, and a few moments ago, we just told the bells for those who passed away this past year here at Messiah. Not about you, but there is, uh, there is certainly some grief for me in the reading of those names. It's not just uh, the reading of those names. It's, uh, it's the remembrance of any who I have loved and are no longer with us. You see, once again, uh, I'm reminded, once again, we're reminded that grief, grief is the price we pay for love. And yet, if there's, a, if there's one thing that you remember uh, from today's sermon, I, I hope it is this. The price we pay, grief, it's not just a price that we pay. Because it's also a price that Jesus pays. And because Jesus pays this price, two things happen. You see, first, first, we are given permission to grieve. I mean, it is okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve because it's okay to love. Actually, Jesus commands us to love. He commands us to love one another. And grief, grief is the price that we pay for loving the kind of way that Jesus commands us to love. Because that's not the only thing that happens, because, uh, because Jesus also gives us a promise. And that promise is that the grief that we experience, it's not going to last forever. It's only, it's only temporary, because Jesus is going to come back. And when he does, there is going to be a new creation. And so, and so grief is the price we pay for love, but it's not just a price that we pay. It's a price that Jesus pays. And because Jesus pays this price, we are given permission, permission to grieve, and we are given a promise. A 
promise that the grief doesn't last forever. Now, just a a moment ago, uh, you heard a series of of readings, uh, readings selected uh, for All Saints Sunday. And and for just a moment, I want to draw your attention to one of those readings, uh, today's gospel reading. And, uh, and for those of you who, who may be familiar with this reading, then you, you probably know that uh, today's gospel reading, it's a part of a much longer reading that encompasses almost all of John chapter 11. And, uh, and that reading, it, it takes place uh, sometime uh, between December and April of the year in which uh, Jesus is crucified. You see, most of Jesus' ministry takes place uh, in around this region called Galilee. It's about 75 miles north of Jerusalem. But every so often, Jesus and his disciples make the trek 75 miles south. And uh, on this particular occasion, they travel not just 75 miles south to Jerusalem, but 20 miles east of that to the place where Jesus was baptized uh, along the Jordan River. And, And it's while Jesus and his disciples are there that Jesus receives word that a man named Lazarus has gotten sick. And Lazarus, uh, he lives with his two sisters. Their names are are Mary and Martha, and you may know them because uh, they appear a number of other times uh, in the New Testament, and and they're some of Jesus' closest friends. Uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they live about two miles east of Jerusalem in a place called Bethany, uh, which is about 18 miles west of where Jesus and his disciples are. And, and on the nights when Jesus is not betrayed during Holy Week, uh, the scriptures actually tell us that Jesus travels to Bethany uh, to spend the night there, very likely at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You see, all of this, all of this uh, colors Jesus' decision not to go when he discovers that Lazarus is sick. Instead, uh, Jesus stays behind, and when Jesus eventually does arrive in Bethany, we discover that Lazarus is not only dead, but Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Now, to this point in the story, uh, you might be thinking that, you know, well, hasn't Jesus raised people from the dead before? Is this really a problem for Jesus? And the answer to that question is uh, yes. Uh, On two different occasions, Jesus raises people from the dead. Happens in uh, Luke chapter 7 and Luke chapter 8. You got the story of the, the widow of Nain, and then you have the story of the raising of Jairus' daughter. But you see, the difference between those two stories and this story is that in the case of those two stories, those people have only been dead a short while, a matter of minutes or, or hours. But when Jesus arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Now, the King James Version, uh, uh, it it translates it it this way, and I I just love the way it captures it. Uh, It describes Lazarus and says, he stinketh. You see, all of this, all of this, uh, it, it colors Uh, The response that Jesus gets when he arrives in Bethany, you see Mary and Martha, they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. 
You know, it brings us uh, to this part of the story that uh, I think is really easy to miss. And it's really easy to miss, miss uh, not just because it's the shortest verse in the Bible, uh, but because what happens after this is just absolutely incredible. You see, uh, Jesus goes on to raise Lazarus from the dead. But that's not the first thing that Jesus does when he arrives in Bethany. See, the first thing that Jesus does when he arrives in Bethany is grieve. He meets Mary and Martha, and he says, where have you laid him? And then this, uh, this passage, it tells us that Jesus has wept. Jesus wept. Every time I read this passage, it makes me wonder, uh, how long does this take? I mean, does a, does a tear roll down Jesus' eye, and then in the very next moment, uh, he goes to the tomb and calls Lazarus out? And you know, uh, when you think about this, you realize that that can't actually be the case because uh, the people who gathered there, uh, the Jews, they look at Jesus, and there's something about his grieving, his weeping, that make him say, look how much he loved him. And so we don't know entirely how long this takes, uh, uh, but what we do know is this. We know that Jesus loves his friend. We know that Jesus could have snapped his fingers. We know that Jesus uh, could have called him out immediately. But he doesn't. Instead, before he does, he grieves. And he grieves because grief is the price you pay for love. It makes me think about uh, the kind of grief we experience, the kind of grief that we experience uh, when someone we love dies, and the kind of grief that we experience simply because we are called uh, to love. And just like Jesus, we may know the final outcome. We may even know that the final outcome is good news. But just because you know the final outcome doesn't mean you're not going to grieve. Now, this past week, uh, I came across the story of, uh, of a woman who uh, grew up going to church, but for a variety of reasons, uh, fell away from the faith uh, during young adulthood. In this video where uh, she's interviewed, she talks about her journey back to church, and, and that journey, it began in her late 30s and early 40s uh, when she experienced a rather significant breakdown, and, and she says that all the advice uh, that she had been given was, was telling her that she needed to go back to church. And so she says, uh, I went back to church thinking that it would take the pain away. And yet as uh, she reflects on her experience, she notes that, uh, that something rather different ends up happening. She says, I, I thought that the faith would take the pain away. But what I discovered was the God and, and a community who sits with me in it. You see, before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he, he grieves. He, he grieves uh, because even when you know the outcome, grief is the price that we pay for love. And, and in Jesus' grief, he gives us permission to grieve. Permission to grieve like we do on a day like today when we remember those who have gone before us in the faith. You see, this isn't the only thing that Jesus does, because Jesus also gives us a promise, the promise uh, that the grief isn't forever. I mean, Lazarus, Lazarus is going to come out of the tomb. That's what's going to happen in verse 44, but Lazarus is also going to come out of the tomb when Jesus returns. 
when, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, when Jesus wipes every tear away from every eye, when there's no more crying or mourning or dying or pain. See, Jesus gives us permission to grieve, but he also gives us a promise, the promise that the grief isn't forever. And these two things, uh, the permission and, and the promise, right now on this side of eternity, they might just exist together. And so it's entirely possible for, for people like you and me to sing our alleluias, to, to have hope in the one who, who once was dead but now is risen, but to, to sing our alleluias and to have our hope with tears in our eyes. Because on this side of eternity, these two things might just exist together. I know there's a story about a, another British figure uh, that I've always uh, appreciated. That's a story about uh, the British Prime Minister during World War II. Uh, his name was Winston Churchill, and, uh, and Winston Churchill uh, it said that he always loved to, uh, to take care of and control all the little details in life, and, and those little details also included the details of his funeral. You see, he said that uh, his funeral was to take place in one of the great cathedrals in London at the very end of the service. Uh, he wanted a bugler to stand up on the west end of the sanctuary. At the very end of the service, this bugler was to play taps, the song of the evening, and, uh, and the end of the day, on the side of the sanctuary where the sun sets. But then Winston Churchill said that, uh, that there should be a brief moment of silence. And after that moment, uh, the bugler on the west end of the sanctuary was to sit down, and, and a bugler on the east end of the sanctuary was to stand up. And the bugler uh, from the side of the sanctuary where the sun rises was to play Reveille, the song of new life, and the beginning of the day. You see, I love what that image does for us as we, uh, as we celebrate, as we commemorate, as we remember All Saints Sunday. And I love what it does for us as we gather uh, together as the church. Because Jesus, he gives us permission to grieve. And here in this place, Jesus, Jesus tells us to come alongside those who are grieving. But then he reminds us that the grief doesn't last forever. Because the tomb is empty. Because Christ is risen. You see, it's my, uh, my hope and prayer that God would grant us the grace to navigate all of the joys in our life, but also all the sorrows in life. And that, that here in this place, uh, God would enable us to come alongside those who are grieving, giving space, allowing permission, and always remembering that it's our Lord who not just gives us permission to navigate times like these, but also a promise that one day he will return and there will be a new creation. May God grant that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now this